0: Welcome to another episode of the Unapologous Podcast, where the best PD happens in your backyard. Tonight, we have the winning goal at the World Cup, Christopher (laughs) Paulson.
1: The winning goal at the World Cup. Vito is the Paul Henderson of goals.
0: I, 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 you, you just took that in a completely different direction. I was yeah, totally expecting. Yeah, I did, I you, did. You, 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 took my soccer analogy and threw hockey back at me. I kind of had to. Thanks. How can I be self depreciating now? Vito McKenzie on this end.
1: Vito McKenzie. <laughs> how are you doing?
0: You know what? Christopher Paulson, I am grinding it out and another week. It feels like I'm November tired at the time of recording and it's September. But otherwise, I'm enjoying my classes, so... This is what keeps me going every day. How about you?
1: Vito, you took the words right out of my mouth. I want to tell you how I described how I'm feeling to a, to a colleague the other day. I think we are experiencing for the first time in human history that we are able to experience and lock down the coordinates of the extra dimensions in string theory and those extra dimensions are an additional day between Monday and Tuesday, and an additional day between Thursday and Friday.
0: And that's how tired I am. Oh, man. Yeah. That's, so that's how I'm doing, buddy. That, we, we, we have just cracked a secret of the universe, and none of us are happy about it. But. You know you know what? We've everything. We don't need it. We don't need it. We're done. Let's put it away. Let's go back to whatever week we had. But you know what, Chris? No one wants to hear us. Why were we talking? No one wants I, I to hear I us. I don't want to hear me. People are listening right now and asking why are they still talking? Was, why? Cuz you know what? Who do we got tonight? Who do, do we, we got like, tonight? This season, we have someone a, a middle school math teacher. Now, this we, we we've had math teachers. We love math teachers. But now we got someone specific to middle school, that amazing age where I was for several years and other people were. And this is going to be really interesting to talk to this person. Uh, she's, she has a passion for equipping teachers in creating a healthy math classroom where students can thrive no matter their academic ability. But for her, it's not always about the numbers. She brings the formulas to solve the problems, math and otherwise, strategies to cultivate the na- necessary math mindset. She really, really encourages her students to be math people. We have Johanna Kuiper on the show. Johanna, welcome,
2: Why, thank Salem, you.
1: Oregon's own Johanna Kuiper.
2: Yes, that is me. Thank you for having me.
0: It's oh, our he- pleasure. You're quite welcome, as we tell our guests. We love having you on just to steal your ideas and run, so... There we go. Lo- so let's uh, let's get started. So every educator has a story of how they got into education and what they're doing right now. So take take us through your journey.
2: You know, I didn't grow up always wanting to be a teacher. Like many kids, I had lots of ideas of what I would want to be, and none of them were actually what I ended up pursuing. So it wasn't until my, I think the end of my freshman year of college where I had to actually declare something that I was like, hey, this sounds fun. Let's do that. But I think the way that I grew up and a lot of the people in my life really primed me to become specifically a math teacher. My mom is a teacher. She teaches elementary kids, but she's been doing that for 30 40 years she'll correct me when she listens but uh (laughs) she's been doing it a really long time and so she was a, a very big inspiration in for into why I wanted to be a teacher and then the math side because people when they hear I'm a middle school teacher they're like oof wow okay but when they hear I'm a math middle school teacher their minds are just like blown and my dad was the reason why I chose math My dad and I used to sit down after dinner, willingly I would sit down, and we would do math together. We would do exponents, factorials, when I was like really young. And he would always patiently guide me through the difference between the two, because between every night I would totally forget what one was and what the other was. But he was very patient and kind to help me remember which was which. But that was the reason why I was like, all right, math teacher it is, let's do this.
1: You know, I am so interested in this already because of the math people we've had on, including, you know, people from at the university level who are like the people developing math curriculum for the education system. um, They have all said that, you know, the parental involvement in a positive Mm -hmm. way is such a, a huge thing. And right here you're talking about your mom and your dad. And don't think it was lost on us that you said you were rhymed to become a
2: math teacher <laughs> i was hoping oh, you'd catch that <laughs> oh
0: oh we got it we got it that was that was very clever so i, I i'm i'm and i'm actually curious to follow this thread a bit further what was your dad's inspiration just that you know what math is cool and, and awesome and fun or like is it part of his career i you don't know, i'm just curious
2: that's a good question i've never thought about that before Um, But my dad is a tech software engineer. I grew up in the Bay Area in California where it's like the tech hub. And so he was always a part of that career path. And so I think he just wanted to be able to instill his fascination with numbers and algorithms into someone else. And I was there ready and willing to learn that kind of stuff. And so I think our bond was based off of that. And so we kept diving into that further even throughout my middle school and high school years
0: oh that's beautiful i love it i love it so keep going keep going so you you were you were primed to be a math teacher and
2: exactly
0: your parents sat you down and and you at the end of your freshman year okay i'm just gonna do this i guess Mm -hmm. so take us through because you know i also taught middle school math but it was kind of an accident and i and i enjoyed it i I made it something i i I enjoyed right and Mm I brought the kids along with me, but I'm curious to hear where you went from there.
2: So after I decided, all right, let's do this, let's become a math teacher, I was a year behind and I had to cram everything within three years of schooling. So I had to take lots of high level math classes, which I think was kind of weird because I'm only teaching middle school, but I have to learn calculus for at the highest degree. Which I'm sure there's a reason for, but I haven't found it yet. And uh, yeah, from there, I had to do my student teaching or my internship. And I we did it every single year. So not just your final year of schooling, which I think is different than a lot of universities do, at least what I have found. And so my junior year, I was teaching at a high school, actually. And the number of times... I got mistaken for a high schooler blew me away. Like I would dress really nice. I'd wear heels. I made myself try and look older, but everyone still thought like, as I was roaming the halls, where's your hall pass? So, you know, good times. And that is why I decided middle school is the place for me because most of the time I do not get mistaken as a middle school student.
1: Vibe right there, right from the get go. If you, if you keep getting mistaken as a student, that you can just go down a level. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So, no. Here's the neat thing. So you're you're doing the middle school thing, and you're teaching math, and and you're loving it. It's what you wanted to do. Um, but then there's this whole. Okay, how can we? We're noticing struggling students and this Mm -hmm. seems you know from because I always look up and research that seems to be a passion of yours how did you fall into that like as an educator you're young you're in the field and now you have this whole other aspect of what you do. Where did that come about?
2: I think it comes from my internship that I did my senior year of college. I worked at a Title I school, which means the majority of the families whose students go to that school are living below the poverty level. And that kind of atmosphere at home really affects how a student academically performs. And without a teacher who is willing to be there and be a structure for a student and in a classroom a structure for them it can be really challenging for that student to flourish academically and as I was in this class teaching and working with my cooperating teacher I noticed how many students at a middle school level were working at a kindergarten and first grade level and I like was so sad for them because they because their level is so low currently they're not able to see the beauty that math is they're not able to see how everything intertwines and works together because they're not there yet and so I wanted to be able to figure out a way for them to see that but not spend seven years building up to where they should be because by then they're in like high school and college but how can I make it so they see that that intertwinedness of math and how beautiful it is without taking all of that time to do it, if that makes sense.
0: Oh, absolutely. So what, you, what you're really getting at is saying, okay, listen, I know you're not the level you're supposed to be. You know you're not at that level. You're at this point have, may have given up, but I'm going to show you the beauty of why you shouldn't.
2: Mm-hmm. Exactly. Oh,
0: I love that. I love that. That's beautiful. That's wonderful. So... Like, I mean, th- this is an uphill battle, um, mm-hmm. I- I'd say, at any grade level, to be honest. But, um, you know, we, oft- we often hear the words math and confidence going together, building math confidence. So c- c- let- let's give your thoughts on why the math class is an area where students often deal with confidence issues. Like, what, mm-hmm. why, do you- why do you think that is?
2: I think it has a lot to do with how society promotes math itself. I think a lot of movies and TV shows promote math as something that's too hard and it's okay to be bad at it. And you're either bad at it or you're like a nerd to the extreme level and there's no ground in between. And so when society says, hey, it's okay if you're bad at this, students are like, oh, I don't have to risk it. It's okay for me to be bad at it. And so that's part of why students maybe lack the confidence to do math. And I'm I'm thinking of the Incredibles movie, the Pixar Disney movie, where in the second one, the incredible dude, I think Bob Parr, he says, I don't know that way. Why would they change math? Math is math. Math is math. And I think it also speaks to the older generation not understanding how we have quote unquote changed it to be more accessible for students and to help it connect to more than just math class. And so that ties into why society says it's okay to be bad at math because we're presenting it in this new way that people don't understand yet and it creates chaos and people don't like chaos and it's a whole cycle.
1: I am just blown away right now. We've had math people on the show, obviously. I've never considered a societal approach to math. I've never considered, but just in saying that, you know, you're right. When I think about the films I've watched, the television shows, you know, I even, I have a, I have a young, I have a five-year-old and a two-year-old, and, and the the few shows that I let him watch, how it's portrayed what an interesting take on that, and an interesting take on education in general as a cultural phenomenon. Um, wow, yeah. So, we, as someone who is into math, as someone who, and I can only assume that growing up, you know, you don't become a middle school math teacher because you hated math, <laughs> you, know, you know, what kind of things when you, in your personal story when you were growing up, how does, as someone who is passionate about it, do you mind sharing, like, how you felt being portrayed that way? Because I almost think, like, that's a turnoff for people who might have had the mm-hmm. math
2: spark. hmm I agree. I think because math was something I always excelled at, like, from a middle school level, I was always put in an advanced math class. And so the way my peers viewed me is as someone who is, like, smarter than them And while that might have seemed true for maybe math, it didn't apply to every area, but because I was good at math, it seemed that they portrayed me as good at everything. And when I would maybe help them something or help them with something or they wanted assistance and I wasn't able to help them, they were like, you're good at math. Why can't you be good at this? And it's like, just because you're good at one thing doesn't mean you're good at everything. And so I think I took that upon myself of, I need to be good at everything. So that way, when people come to me for something, I have the ability to help them and they don't see me as less than they did before.
0: Uh, th- and and what a wonderful way to even to even put that and, and to uh, like, just, it just showcases this whole mentality that we've been trying to break, uh, mm-hmm. breakthrough, through and, and not only with our math teachers have been on the show, but the science teachers and pretty much this mentality that you have to be this type of person. And you either are or aren't. It's like an exclusive club. And I guess well, I, you know, we measure intelligence by that. Obviously, you're a very intelligent person. We know oh, that <laughs> we know that. But but like you said, it's like but math was just the one area I excelled. You know, there were other areas I I, I needed to work on as well. So, um,
1: just the idea too. Oh, you need bio help, homework help? Joanna's good at math. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, when you say it like that, it sounds kind of silly. But you're mm-hmm. right, you're right. I, I, really interesting point. I'm 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 got big vibes all over the page. Big vibes.
0: Big vibes. Big nice. vibes. Well, yeah, and I just think of a quick story. I, I was, it was a grade 11 or 10 math class, so somebody said a guy who was also excelling at math, but an interesting character. And we decided to study together one night. And he's just looking at the work, and he go, looks up at me and he goes, You know what we should do? Watch Titanic. Let's watch Titanic. I'm like, We got an exam tomorrow. I, we, I need to watch Titanic right now. And that's what we did. <laughs> We'd have got no studying done. But, uh, uh, for him, like his, he just he just saw it and said, "Nah, I'll just do what I can." I like I I didn't benefit from that symbiosis uh, of being around him. <laughs> but uh, go, let's let's take this further. Can can you give some insights into the adults in the building on on how math is something that permeates the confidence of everyone?
2: Yeah, I think it kind of goes back to the idea of. The generation maybe above where I was um, had math taught one way. It was this way or the highway. And when they come to math or come to, like, observe or help us another student, they don't see math as this creative thing that can be done multiple different ways. They're like, oh, you have to add this way or you have to solve an equation this way. When, in fact, there are so many different ways that you can do it and arrive at the correct answer. And so I think when they see that, it's like a mind-blowing thing of like, oh, you get to be creative with this. And I think that sparks some confidence in other adults when they're helping students learn through a math problem. I think that would be one way that math confidence is portrayed in adults in the building.
0: You know... When you talk about the creative aspect of it, too, math is one of those amazing fields. If you go to do your PhD and defend your dissertation, you're allowed to say, I don't know, to a question, and that is acceptable. Mm -hmm. Like, you can actually say that. That's cool. You don't have to know everything. Like You can be like, no, I actually don't know. That's a good question. (laughs) I just like the
1: idea, too, of creativity being the glue that brings the adult confidence into math. You know, you think about those people who, they stru- maybe, maybe they're quite educated people, but math just was an area where they really struggled for one reason or another. And the idea of being able to be creative, to bring someone who never thought that they could do math into math in a way that works for them, I, I think that's really... Um, I think that's a really organic approach to building math confidence, and I really like that. I really like that saying.
0: All right, Uh, so looking past the confidence now, we're getting the adults on board, getting the students in in there. Uh, This is kind of your wheelhouse right here, uh, identifying struggling students and getting them kind of on track, building that rapport to get them to love the idea of the subject again. So what are some methods that you use to do this effectively?
2: I think there's a couple of different ways that I approach it. I think one is, especially at the beginning of the year where I am now, I'm not sure where every student academically is currently. And so I'm just going about like teaching it and releasing them to work and then seeing which students are doing it and which aren't. And then the ones who aren't able to do it quite yet, going over and walking through a series of questions to dig deeper into why or what is the reason behind them not being able to do it yet. And I like I read this book uh, maybe a couple months ago by Chris Voss called Never Split the Difference. He is like a FBI negotiator, and so he has these really cool things questioning techniques to really drive to the bottom or the root of something and I apply those in the classroom and so when you approach a student who is struggling or possibly struggling saying it seems like you're struggling to get started how can I help you and so it's not an accusatory like hey you're not doing anything What? what's up it's more of like to an outside observer it might seem or it might look like struggling to get started and then immediately offering an assistance of how can I help and a lot of times students who haven't heard me tell them that before are like I don't know and so then it's like digging a little bit deeper so what is the reason or what is our first step and seeing like maybe they don't understand the instructions but asking what is the first step allows them to have a platform to say I'm actually not sure what the first step is and now I know that they didn't know what the first step was and now we walk through what the first step was and then if from there they're like okay I get it I know that they're good to go and I can move on to another student and start the process over but if we get through the first step and they're like I still don't understand what I'm doing I know that the root problem is further beneath it and maybe it's more academic than just purely understanding what the instructions were And so I can dive into like some what they think the idea is of the math problem. Say we're doing solving equations and they understand that they're trying to solve for X, but they're not sure the process of it. And so we walk through the first step is trying to find what operation is happening. Well, maybe it's addition and they're trying to figure out what X's value is. Their next step should be subtracting to get X by itself but they don't know that. So that tells me inverse operations is something they struggle with, identifying it. And so that's where I can start assisting them to figure out or to better help them in the long run.
1: I think that's a really cool uh, process too, because so often we just go in and we say, what's wrong? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Or where are you struggling? If I knew where I was struggling, I wouldn't be struggling now <laughs> yeah, <with that>. Exactly. <laughs> so I, I, I think that's a, like, just the concept of knowing the right questions to ask mm-hmm. and using your solutions as a map to get to the real issue. I think that, that you know, we're talking about math right now, but that's across any discipline, right? Mm-hmm. Oh,
2: absolutely. So, I think it could be for anything.
1: So, and then in terms of like, okay, so you've, you've sat down with your student you have you've asked the questions you know you're in the classroom you have you know I, I don't know what your class sizes are like but you know what you know depending on where you are in the world like 25 to 50 kids right mm-hmm. now as the teacher it's like i have to put a plan in place now to help this student who i know has some struggles where where do we go from there when we recognize the issue and we know that there's going to be some additional uh, learning and and teaching that needs to happen, how do we make that flow within a classroom that is a, a living, breathing organism?
2: That's a really good question, and it's something that I struggle with a lot in my classes, especially because my class sizes at the beginning of the school year were 35, and so trying to navigate an hour long class period with 35 students who many of them need that additional support, it's trying to find a balance of how can I teach this to the whole class and my higher level students or maybe my closer to on grade level students aren't bored or feel like they're not being challenged, but also additionally helping those students who are still needing that extra scaffolding. And so it comes to a line of questioning, like as a whole class, walking through step by step, making sure they have something to reference back to. So I, I use this thing called actionable notes or action actionable cheat sheets because that always makes kids want to take notes more because it's a cheat sheet rather than just notes. But having something that's actionable for them to refer back to when I'm not able to immediately help them because I have a class of 30 students, they know that they can look at this follow it step by step if they're stuck and they use that first as a guide and it's always broken down to the bare the bare bones of something like for um, graphing i have a lot of students who struggle with moving over and then up on a coordinate plane and so we take notes first thing you do is find your x value Where on the x-axis do you see that? And so working through it step-by-step, having something to refer back to while we do that in class, as a whole class, then when it's time for them to actually produce something, they have something to refer back to, especially if I'm not present.
0: Okay, so you you pretty much provide them a guide um, in place of you. Mm -hmm. And, And that works, especially at that age when you don't want to admit that you're struggling right Mm -hmm. Uh, especially that age identity is everything and and persona and kind of that hormonal rage that (laughs) happens sometimes right yes we just have to your class kind of goes wild and it's like oh I'm just gonna sit back now and have a sip of coffee and just wait for you to calm down (laughs) Mm -hmm. because I'm not talking through that din right at this moment Uh, because you're also dealing with that the management issue too right
2: oh yeah every day
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely,
1: absolutely. You're you're hitting a great point there, Vito. Because how often does um, struggling with subject matter, uh, you know, materialize in management issues? I don't want someone to know that I'm bad at math, so I'm going to act out in math class. I'm going to be you know the class clown, or I'm going to do the things, and so then we get stuck in the behavioral management which is masking the academic struggle
2: yes and I think that's very apparent in the school that I work with a lot of students because they're below grade level currently they like you said they don't want people to know they don't want they want to save face and so they act out behaviorally so that way they don't show that they're not quite there yet and I think it comes down to the teacher within the classroom making sure that it's a safe place for students to say, I don't know, and to be like, all right, we can work with that because it's okay for you not to know, but it's not okay for you to not try. And that's what we are here to do together is get everyone on the same page so that way we can be more successful together because more minds is better than one. And I think... With the behavior that I see in my class, it comes along the lines of using that Chris Voss, it seems like, kind of language to find the root of what the behavior is. So if I have a student who is being disruptive and walking around the room trying to get everyone's attention, it's like having a conversation on the side with a student. It seems like you are struggling to get started with your work. What's going on? And using like what questions and how questions to really dive deep and the student dive deep into why the student is acting out and it's like oh i wasn't sure what the activity was or i'm not sure how to get started okay that's something i can help you with let's go sit down and i'll help you out and so it's like it deflates the behavior and allows me or an ia or an instructional assistant to help a student out
0: and i really enjoy how you're bringing in a master negotiator (laughs) into the classroom, right? Yep. This kind of crossbreeding of ideas. You know, Chris and I are all about that. Just, you need just one. Finding. You, 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 you need to sometimes. You need to kind of, I call it subtle manipulation, which is <laughs> half the reason I became a teacher just to do that. Uh-huh. Nice. Because <laughs> uh, you have experimental ground for, for students to see how can you encourage them without them knowing and exactly. show them what you care without them... Recognizing it, um, so I, I love how how you bring that in. I think that's that's really really neat. So let's get let's get really practical then. Uh, wh- what what can teachers do, or what do you- to be inclusive for math education? Because you have some really high flyers. You get some kids in your class who are like, you know, give me three grade levels up. I want to do this. And you have other students who are way below grade level, and and so how you know how, how do you guide that whole class towards success. What are what are uh, what are some things you do?
2: Um, a lot of things that I do is make sure that the activity or whatever we're doing is engaging for students, and it's also related to something outside of what math class is. So what I mean by that is, we want our math lesson to be related to something a student already knows. So for graphing, we want to maybe look at a map. How can we take a map and plot this point? We have to look at our is it longitude and latitude points to figure out where that would be on a map because not everything just has an address. And so we have to find that location. So graphing is gonna help us find things on a map. And so relating it to that, giving it a purpose and a reason is why students engage. And so when it's engaging, students are more willing to buy in even if they're not sure of it yet. So that's bringing those high flyers and those students who aren't there yet together and like, oh, we know we can read a map now. We can now work together through this problem or this idea. So engaging the student, making it relatable to them and making it have a reason. It's kind of a first step anyway.
0: Uh, take us through the second step because Chris just gave you a hallelujah <laughs> on that one. No
2: I one, saw that. That was great.
0: <laughs> listeners can't see, but yeah, we there. There's a whole hallelujah moment. So keep going. Next step. What do you got? So engage it, make it, pra- make it like mm-hmm. relatable. Like uh, Richard Feynman, physicist always said, you can't do education in a vacuum. You got to pin it to something you already know. So exactly. Yes. You, you, you just nailed that one. So what's, what, what's next?
2: I think the next one relates to the teacher themselves. I think, the teacher especially as a math teacher who's fighting all of these like societal norms of maybe math is not cool yet and um we have to really play the personality and really up the excitement that math class has because that's another way kids get to buy in is like ooh she's excited about this like i want to be excited too and so really building the excitement Of something like today we were talking about corresponding sides for transformations and corresponding sides could seem really boring because it's just like this side is related to this side hallelujah but now it's like okay well how can we take this and make it fun so corresponding sides of like a classroom or if you hold up your left hand and it's a reflection of your partner's hand these are corresponding sides and really being excited about it and not being like, oh, corresponding sides is so boring. Like, I don't know. It just makes it exciting for me. It makes them exciting for them. And I see a lot more engagement and buy-in for them, whether, no matter where they are academically, they're like, let's do this. And in addition, if you use highlighters, anything a student can color or highlight, it automatically is way more fun.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Vandalize this paper, do it. (laughs) <laughs>
2: yes.
1: Yes. Yes. So I'm I'm loving this. Like I'm picking up I mean, you know you're making it engaging. You're making the content relatable. You're making it real. And can be like, "Oh, this might be something that we're just putting on a but this is actually pizza." You know, like <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: and then and then we're we're bringing the excitement. We're putting our own excitement as the educator into it. But then here's my here's my here's my big pulsing question for you so then we get to the test Mm -hmm. then we get to the assessment piece and this is when we are assessing the learning where it's not we don't often have that same freedom that we have in the learning process so -hmm. when we get to the assessments how do we make sure that our assessments follow the rules that we've just Put out in our math class to make it something that's that's worth having to make it something that's exciting and engaging how do we make the assessment point mirror that
2: that's a good question so I think first is change the way that we talk about an assessment I think especially testing there's a lot of testing anxiety that comes especially with math and so making sure that students know that This is a celebration of your learning, whatever you've learned so far, whatever you bring to the table, we're gonna celebrate that. So whether it's just a little bit of growth or you like knocked it out of the park, like that is something worth celebrating. And so when you change that perspective for students being like, oh, okay, I can do that. They are more willing to do that and it allows the testing experience to be less overwhelming most of the time. And two, making sure that the assessment directly aligns with what you've taught in class. There should never be on a test a surprise or something new. It should be directly related to what you have been teaching in class and what students know. If you have something on a test that you maybe didn't get to yet, you should cross it off because there's it's not worth putting a student through like the worry of under, like, I don't remember this. Did we learn this when you didn't teach it? and maybe they're expected to know it, but you didn't teach it yet, so it's not worth assessing it quite yet.
1: I am never, ever going to call an assignment an assignment again. I'm never going to call it a presentation task. I'm never going to call it an assessment. I'm never going to call it a test. I now give out celebrations of learning.
0: I, that, yes. I, I absolutely <laughs> love that. I that absolutely love that. That is the best that. thing I have I, heard in 2021.
2: <laughs> I'm so glad. I got it from um one of the teachers uh when I was doing my internship my senior year. Like she called it that and I was like that's a great way to look at it. And so ever since that's that's what we do, celebration of learning.
0: A celebrate like uh, how do you not be happy about that? Oh, <laughs> <Exactly>. okay. <laughs> no,
1: just think about think about the difference between Hey kids, so it's Wednesday today. On Friday, we're going to have the unit test. Versus, hey kids, it's Wednesday today. On Friday, we're going to have a celebration of learning.
2: <laughs> I love it. It's time to
1: party. It's kind to party. I, I want to see now, where you you're students.
0: at. I want to celebrate.
1: And think about these students. Think about those people who have test anxiety. We change the nomenclature mm-hmm. and we can change the way some people think about that.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Big vibes, Vito. Big vibes. Like, I, 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 Where do you even go from there? So, <laughs> yeah. uh, like, that, that's just made, made these two happy right here. I don't know about anyone else, but I, I, am, I, am, I am pumped about that. Uh, so let, let's, uh, let, let's talk about, like, some of the fun things you do in math class then, because you've given us a few things. I want to hear some more. Like, what, what are some of the things you do to, to oh. make it fun for them?
2: We, we do a lot of fun things, I, I, I think they're fun. I think the majority of students think they're fun too. But we do a lot of partner work and a lot of teamwork, which can seem a little stressful at first. I know, especially coming back from working online to being in person, students were afraid to talk to other people. And so we really had to work through uh, the process of how you talk to a person. And It's okay to talk to people, Like it's not strange or danger here and so um working together working with a partner more more minds are better than one i think gives them the peace of mind while we try to keep it academic as much as possible like there's always that social component of hey what'd you do over this weekend or did you go to the football game last night and so it adds a layer of sociability into the math class as well like this isn't just an education place this is a place for us to become a math family kind of like a number family but math itself and really get to know each other because when we get to know each other we're more comfortable with each other and then when we're more comfortable with each other we're more willing to show that we don't know and we're okay to make mistakes because that's just part of the learning process no one nailed something on the first try like thomas edison who made the light bulb he tried a bunch of different ways that didn't work before he was able to create the light bulb And without all of those failures, quote unquote failures, he wouldn't have been able to create that light bulb. And so we want those light bulb moments. And if you need to take a bunch of tries beforehand to get that light bulb, so be it. And that should, again, be celebrated. So that's just like a whole piece of creating a math classroom where students can thrive because we are a math family in every class period
0: like that's a that's big vibe right there like you're talking about educating people and
1: celebrating <laughs> the, the process
0: celebrating the process yeah. but you know the social aspect yes the whole student these are holistic young people who need development in many areas and math class is going to give them that mm-hmm. uh, just in one particular flavor of it uh, i love this idea of like building community in your room
1: mm-hmm.
0: like that, that that's 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 wonderful Yeah, looking beyond that—that—that—I love it. I absolutely love that. Chris, you better be writing that down. Oh, I
2: mean,
1: sorry. All I'm doing is writing down big bombs.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's something that I I struggled with a lot my first couple years of teaching, especially when you have a lot of behaviors that you have to work with. It's like, no, I need you to get this work done, and I need you to get it done now. And so I think I still kind of struggle sometimes of it's OK to have them talk non-academic as long as there is academic work going on. And so it's all about a balance of the two, where it's, yes, we can be social, but yes, we still have to be academic, and just combining those two to make a, a beautiful classroom.
0: Absolutely. And, and you know, the fact is, you're excited about it, too. Mm-hmm. And your students read that off of you, so they they know you're the real deal when when you're coming at them with this stuff too. And I think that 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 is a big one, that is a huge one right there too. So that's, that's Students are very lucky to have you. That's for oh, sure. Oh, thank you. So, in your opinion, that you you've hit on so many points, like I I would love to hear in your opinion, what do you think educators should be unapologetic about in their practice?
2: I have two things. One relating to what we've talked about is don't be afraid to show that you don't know something as well. Like we want to model what we teach. And so if we model that maybe we don't know something or oops, I made a mistake here, like let's go back and fix it. We're showing that it's okay to make mistakes and that we shouldn't apologize for it. It's just like, it's a normal part of life. Let's go through it and let's move on. We don't have to say, oh, I'm so sorry. Like I made a mistake. Like I'm really apologize for that. It's like, no, it's part of life. It's part of life work with it and move on. And then the second thing is don't be afraid to be silly. Students really respond to that, especially at the middle school level. They really love seeing you outside of like your strict teacher stance who classroom manages perfectly. They want to get to know you. And when they get to know you, they're more likely to buy into the class because they know you. And again, it goes back to that classroom atmosphere of we are a family and we're here learning together. So I think a lot of teachers, I feel like I'm very different than a lot of teachers in my school building. And I think it's because I'm not afraid to be silly and I'm not afraid to tell stories and get to know kids in a a way that's maybe different than other people. I think it also might be because I'm closer in age to them than most of the teachers at our school, but don't be afraid to get silly and down and dirty and understanding who the students are and who the generation is.
1: I love it. I love it. Vito! Chris! Oh, I'm looking, I'm looking at the clock here, and you know what time it is.
0: I'll I tell you what time it is, What time is it? It's it is. It's Points time. Point time.
1: Oh, my goodness. We're, t- we're talking tonight with Johanna Kuyper. Uh, my goodness. C- could we have had a nicer conversation? Pulsing Point number one tonight. When you notice an issue or a struggle, ask yourself, what can I do to help fix this? I love that. I love that. You no, know, she saw some struggling students. She said, what can I do? Pulse point number two, and I love this, know the right questions to ask and offer solutions to find the real issues when you notice a student struggling. My friends, pulse point number three, break it down to the bare bones and build it back up step by step. Ooh, <laughs> I love that, that's some great advice. Pulse point number four on the night, remember my friends, behavior management can be a mask to an academic struggle. Pulsing point number five of the night. How are you being engaging and making content relatable and real? Ask yourself that every single lesson. But of course, we don't just have the Pulsing points because we have the big vibes of the night. Of course, we got big vibes tonight. Vibes. Oh, big vibes. Huge vibes, even. Hey, big vibe number one. Show students the beauty of learning. Whatever you're teaching, maybe it's math, maybe it's LA, maybe it's social studies, I don't know what it is. Show those students the beauty of learning. And hey, just because you're good at one thing, friends, doesn't mean you're good at everything. Teachers, that means you too. And guess what, the opposite's true too. Just because you're bad at one thing doesn't mean you're bad at everything. I love it. Could I get a bigger vibe than math is creative and it can be done in lots of different ways? Remember that, and hey, Actionable cheat sheets are gonna help out a lot of people. Think about those actionable cheat sheets. And you said this, I really like this big vibe you gave us. Um, More minds are better than one. More minds are better than one. And of course, let's build a community. But the biggest vibe of the night And all of you listeners, you know exactly what the biggest vibe of the night is. Let's stop calling them tests and assessments and performance tasks and this and that and the other thing. They're still going to be those things, but let's call them celebrations of learning because that's what they are. They're celebrating learning and oh, biggest vibe of the night. I love it. And teachers out there, listeners out there, be unapologetic about showing what we don't know and our mistakes and be unapologetic about being silly and telling your stories and being the person that your students need you to be. Johanna Kuyper, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight.
2: Yes, thank you so much. I had a lot of fun.
0: Oh, it was a pleasure. We were having a laugh here. It was, it was wonderful and learned so much from you, so we really appreciate that. Thank you.
2: Of course. Anytime.
0: And thank you for joining us for another episode of the Unapologist podcast. Join us next week when we'll talk with great people, learn new ideas, and tell the story of teaching as it happens. This is Vito and Chris, signing off. The Unapologist Podcast.